Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And where are we on the uh, ongoing matter? So far, we have narrowed it down to to execute, hit it, and manifest. Manifest? It, nobody likes that one. Hit it was Captain Pikes. Yeah, but you could put your own spin on it, like, hit it! I will take it under advisement. It's crazy how fast the season's going. And it feels like I say this every time we start recording, but you know, we're, we've just done episode eight. There's only 13 episodes in the season. So there's only five episodes left of this story. I, again, yeah, it's just going so quickly. I'm Dan Gunther with me is Bruce Gibson. And today on the positively Trek discovery review episode, we are talking season three, episode eight, the sanctuary. So, Bruce, how are you this fine day? I'm doing fine. Your comment about how we're past the halfway mark, there's just five more episodes left, and it's been going by really quickly. I agree with that, but the thing about it is I'm also a Star Wars fan and watch The Mandalorian, and it's so weird to think that Mandalorian started after the premiere of this season's Discovery and is going to finish before it. And there's only two episodes left of that. Yeah, yeah, there's only two episodes left. And I'm looking at like, oh, there's five more Discovery. Yes. I'm so glad we're getting all these episodes of Discovery. You know, and I, I'm glad it's not the other way around, honestly. I'd rather have more episodes of Discovery right now than The Mandalorian. Not that I don't like The Mandalorian, but I'm just, you know, a slightly bigger fan of Star Trek than Star Wars. So the more Star Trek, the better. Yeah, absolutely. And I was thinking the other day, you know, we had that, that advertising push before Lower Decks started. 23 weeks of Trek, right? It's been an amazing run. And there's, like I said, only five weeks left of that 23 straight weeks of Star Trek. So it, it's, been a, it's been a fun journey. And luckily, there's still more to come, including, I think, some uh, big revelations for the storylines that are kind of all up in the air right now for Discovery. Because that's kind of the, the drawback of this show is 
we're in the middle of it. We don't know where things are going. We're kind of commenting on things that we don't see a clear ending to, but we have to do this every week. <laughs> yeah, the format of the show, because it's so serialized, we're not always getting answers like we want to. And yes, we're going to get into spoilers about this episode. So that's your warning if you haven't watched the episode. But one of the things I just want to mention real quick, you know, in this episode, we are given the information that they figured out where the burn originated. But that's really about as far as we got. Like, it's not like it, by the end of the episode, we're there and we find it all out. It's just we're just given a tease of where things are going to go in the next episode or the episode after that. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because I, I remember the the preview from last week. That's what they kind of focused on was like, this is the origin of the burn. Oh, my gosh. Blah, blah, blah. And yeah, we get that in this episode, but it's basically just like, oh, it's this nebula. Well, that's a trip for another time. Oh, here's the music coming from it. Hmm, let's analyze that. But we don't get <laughs> any right. kind of, uh, you know, I, I, I guess they find out that it's a distress call from a Federation ship in a nebula, which uh, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later because I have a theory and I see online I'm far from the only person who has a very similar theory, so... All right. We may have the same theory then. I, I think we do. I I might have seen you comment somewhere online. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it was in our Facebook group. <laughs> yeah. Facebook group, uh, the Positively Trek discussion group. Uh, if you haven't checked that out, check that out. Yes. So have you, you can have discussions with us and others about this kind of stuff. Indeed. Well, let's jump right in and, and talk about first this mission that Discovery goes on in this episode. And we learn from Book that he's gotten a, a call for help from his brother, Kaihim, who's back on their home world of Quijon. You know, the last couple of weeks, we, we've had to contend with a lot of interesting and new sci-fi names. Quijon, Kaihim, Grogu. Well, uh, sorry, I, I get ahead of myself. That's a different <laughs> thing. But yeah, so <laughs> they go to this planet, Quijon. The the Admiral sends Discovery with the express orders, you know, don't engage the Emerald Chain, go there as observers, all this kind of stuff. What did you think of Book's homeworld? We've had it teased a few times that, you know, where he's from and that kind of thing. This is the first time we get to see it. I mean, I didn't think it was all that interesting. I guess what I'm trying to say is I didn't feel like we learned a whole lot about his world. I, I, I don't know. I guess because this isn't like a world we've heard a lot about and been interested about it for a long time, I never really thought that much about his world and seeing it. I've been more interested in about him and his race or species or whatever they are, you know, this, this, the ability they have with nature and where that comes from and is that something that was natural or was that something that was made artificial like i'm more interested in his background and his people's background less so than visiting the world which we got a little bit of their background but not as much as i want does that make sense yeah i think so we can talk a little bit about that though because yeah we don't we don't really get the background but we do learn that his brother Kaihim who's a brother not biologically but in kind of a deeper sense they they say he is an empath in the same way that book is they have this ability to kind of communicate with animals i guess and i don't i don't know what do you think of that ability and 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 how it's used it comes across very much, as I mentioned earlier, I do like Star Wars, but it almost comes across kind of like the force mm -hmm. in a way. And honestly, 
I want it to be something that's maybe artificial because that sounds more sci-fi to me. If it's something that's natural, then I want to know why these people have this ability. Now, of course, yeah, if you're a Beta Z, you're empathic and you can do all these things too and it's natural and it's fine and it's natural, but the glowing of the head makes it seem unnatural to me. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm not entirely sure what to make of it as well. I know in the first episode, Book said something like every once in a while, someone like him shows up in the gene pool or something like that. So it sounds like they're saying it's natural, but yeah, I, I'm not sure either. It, it feels artificial somehow, maybe. Yeah. Is it like all the people on this planet, do they all have that ability? Or to your point, it's only select people in a certain gene pool. And I guess I like the idea too, now I'm thinking about it, if it was natural because it's natural to their planet, that's how these people evolved. I I, I guess that's just it. I want to know more about it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to know just that he has it. I want to know why. And again, that's the difference between Star Trek and Star Wars for me, where Star Wars is more fantasy and it's like, well, the force is the force. You know, that's what it is. But when it comes to sci-fi and Star Trek, I want to know, oh, not that he has the ability, but why? Is it natural? Is it artificial? If it's artificial, who created it? If it's natural, why is it natural only to this world? Why is it this world that created this ability? And is it to all people or just some people? So that's the thing I really want to get to the root of. Yeah, that's Star Trek does have the tendency to to explain more than that. So it, it it's a little frustrating. Frustrating might not be the word, but it's it's a little bit uh, against the norm when we don't get that explanation in something like Star Trek. So, but then again, we're we're not getting the explanation of why Betazoids are empathic either. I mean, they just are, right? I yeah. Guess. So I don't know why I'm expecting it from this. Yeah, and it's funny. Like we we do get you know tech stuff which you know if you really examine it it doesn't really even explain anything like for example in betazoids they say there's a neural transmitter called psilocinine that that allows tele- telepathy well that we didn't really learn anything more from that than we did before it just right. sounds scientific so yeah maybe i don't know i i guess I guess this might be par for the course for Star Trek in some ways and, you know, a little different in some others. And maybe, again, the glowing forehead just, it seems more unnatural to me. That's why maybe it sticks out a little more to me as to what what is this? Mm-hmm. Because it's it's odd that it's like it doesn't have mark. He doesn't have markings on his forehead where you would think light would shine through. It, it just it's like this image and these this pattern that just appears on his forehead and i don't know what's projecting that image of light yeah like that embedded leds <laughs> that's that's a yeah. that's an evolutionary trait that seems odd but okay well and <laughs> and and maybe burnham burnham knows the answer to all this because she did spend a year i can't imagine for a year she hasn't asked him questions about that mm-hmm. don't you think she'd be asking him a lot of questions like you know how you know tell me about your species tell me how this evolved tell me you know what is this like I want to know more of those answers. I'm sure she would ask those too. Yeah. It sounds like books a little secretive about some stuff. Uh, I I remember when Burnham was talking about his name, Cleveland Booker with Saru. And she says, you know, there's a story there. He hasn't told me yet. I haven't gotten it out of him yet, but 
So I don't know. Maybe he's keeping that stuff close to his chest. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the threat to Book's homeworld. And early on in the episode, we get this scene with Osira dealing with the oh, the nephew Flunky that we got a couple episodes ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was an interesting scene. What do you think of Osira as a villain so far? I'm still reserving judgment. Hey, I know this is positively Trek people, but I will just tell you right up front, this is probably my least favorite episode of this season. I don't hate the episode. Don't get me wrong there. I'm just saying this episode didn't hit me like most of the others. This and Scavenger, which I think maybe is that I don't really, I don't think I'm that invested in the Emerald Chain. I think the Emerald Chain for me is coming across as just the villain of the season. And I'm not really finding them that interesting. So Osira, she, first of all, I thought, wow, she looks like the Wicked Witch of the, was it the West? No, the East. Wait, what is it? <laughs> I think the West. Um, I, I, that was my first thought when I saw her. She looked like that. And then I thought, well, she is part of the Emerald Chain, like the Emerald City. And I started to really seriously think, is there, are they trying to connect to Wizard of Oz in some way? Like, <laughs> I just it made me wonder that but then i watched it a second time and I, you know what it is she's so one-dimensional for me right now i want to know more about her so i can get more interested and invested in her so we had an interesting introduction to her but now i want to know more about her mm -hmm. it, it's a really let's make her uh, a really three-dimensional deep character like what is her motivation what put her here why is she doing what she's doing why is she acting evil what, what's going on with this person yeah I, I gotta say i i appreciated the performance i think she's like she's got this kind of earnestness to her where she's not like i don't know she doesn't seem to really hide anything she's just nasty <laughs> and and i i don't know i really appreciated the performance i think she was fascinating like i want to learn more about her Again, I, I like you. I feel like she's been pretty one-dimensional so far. I do find it interesting that we find out a lot of what's going on is the the, ch the Emerald Chain apparently is running out of dilithium. So they're desperate and getting, you know, more bold and that kind of thing. And I like that idea of like a cornered animal or a caged animal is the most dangerous. So, you know, maybe that's kind of informing this. But uh, I, I don't know. There's something about just how cal casually she's, you know, kind of giving like a backhanded compliment to her nephew and then feeding him to a transworm. And I'm like, dang. <laughs> yeah. You know, and as we're talking through this, you know, there's times I watch an episode and it isn't until we actually discuss the episode that I really start to figure out my thoughts and put them together. And it's starting to come together for me. I think the problem I'm having with this episode, and then again, I don't hate the episode, but the reason I, don't, I didn't get as excited about this episode is because I think there's a lot of things in here that I wasn't really interested in going into the episode. Like, I, I, I want to know about the burn. You know, I'm getting more interested in finding out the answers to the burn. I want to find out more about Giorgio. I want to find out more about Burnham's journey. There's, there's a lot of things going on that have been established in previous episodes that I'm interested in finding more about. Then all of a sudden, Asira shows up. And, oh, this is Book's brother. And I'm like, okay, these are people I didn't know about before. And now I'm spending an hour getting to know this when I'm more interested in the other stuff. Like, they're they're adding something new in that I wasn't coming in hoping to get answers to. Like, let's save this maybe for another time. I want to know more about this other stuff. And I think that's what's getting to me. That makes sense. Like, 
I'm I'm looking at the notes that I've made for this episode, for example, and a lot of the 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 bullet points are new things that we haven't been introduced to before. And then I've got one section at the bottom that says other bits. And in the other bits section is kind of the stuff that's just ongoing. So uh, we've got Book's decision and where he's he's going to be, Giorgio and the origin of the burn. Like they're kind of the big issue things that like, I guess kind of took a backseat in this episode. So I, I never really thought that through. But yeah, th- those are kind of the things that we've been told we're focusing on this. These are big things. These are big questions. But in this episode, they're just kind of in the periphery. They're in the background a little bit. And I can see how that might be a bit frustrating for sure. Yeah. So I think that's what's gnawing at me with this. It's not that I don't like the episode. It's just wasn't as fulfilling as I was expecting because it's not it's not carrying on much of that those other storylines. So that being said, I am interested in the fact that the Emerald Chain is having this shortage of dilithium. And therefore, you know, that's what's causing Osira to be doing what she's doing right now and these other things. And if this plays out for a while, I'll probably get more and more invested into that storyline. I would like to know more about the Emerald Chain and why the Andorians and the Orions are working together. Mm -hmm. You know, what really brought them together and, and really get deep into that. Yeah, just the alliance of, of that side of the color wheel, I guess. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because they don't trust the Federation and Vulcans and the Romulans don't trust the Federation. There's a lot of mistrust in the universe when it comes to the Federation. And again, there's a point that I want to know more about that. Is it just because of the burn or are there other things that the Federation has been doing? Mm hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's kind of a big question that's been hanging over the season as well Is you know, all of these uh, major worlds of the Federation have left. Is that just like you say, just because of the burn or as the Vulcan president said in the last episode, is it were there other factors that factored into that? So, hmm. And what really would have become interesting to me with Osira is when she was talking to Discovery at some point, if she said, you know, I and I think she did say something about not trusting the Federation. But I would have liked to have said at least one reason why. If she had said, because the Federation did this to my people and did this to the Andorians, and now you expect me to trust you being here, I would have walked away with her like, ooh, now we're finding out why Osira is doing what she's doing. And maybe she's not really all that bad. And maybe she's just a victim of what the Federation did. See, those are the kinds of things I get interested in. So mm-hmm. we're too early, I guess, with Osira to really know anything. And so it's just a new element we have to learn more about. Yeah. Well, speaking of people that have reasons to distrust the Federation and stuff, there was an interesting line by another character in this episode, Rin, who is the antennaless Andorian that we picked up a couple of episodes ago in Scavengers. And there's a really interesting scene where he kind of bursts into the ready room, says, who's the captain? And in another in another great little bit, I love Tilly when she says, you know, no, 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 no. Let's try that again. You don't speak to the captain that way. This is Captain Saru and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, Tilly says, or Tilly and Saru say the Federation's here to help. And Rin replies, help from the Federation always comes with strings attached. What does that mean? Like, right. Tilly immediately is like, no, it doesn't. But does it? now like is that something is that a feature of how the federation has operated lately are they just 
because in this episode we we see the emerald chain it feels like a protection racket right like they help out this planet but now they have to do the emerald chain's bidding does the federation employ similar tactics if rin is to be trusted with this one line it kind of sounds like it this was one of my favorite scenes of the episode Mm -hmm. for all the reasons you just described i I love him just coming in there bursting yeah i want to talk to the captain and she's like whoa 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 let's do this right (laughs) and also to know that the actors are married to each other yeah it was like his wife saying, hey, hey, honey, you need to just slow down and wait a minute. Okay? Slow your roll, bucko. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, again, as we're talking through this, we're just giving little hints to things. I think I'm getting anxious to find out answers. And I think this episode is really going to probably even work better for me once we get answers by the end of the season to go back and watch this it may shed a whole different light because now we know the motivations of these characters. We know why Rin doesn't trust the Federation and, and there's always these strings that have to be pulled and why Cyrus doing what she's doing. And so going back and watching this might prove to be very interesting. Rin is a character too, that I'm, I'm really curious about. And I feel like he, he gets a lot more in this episode than his introduction in scavengers. And I, I'm really coming to appreciate how well-developed this character actually is. There wasn't much there in Scavengers, but in this one, we seem to be learning quite a bit. And the, the Emerald Chain really wants him back because apparently he's the only one who knows this deep, dark secret that the chain is running out of dilithium. And I also loved his whole interaction with Detmer during the mission or the, or the bit where they take Book's ship up against Osiris' ship, the Viridian. Uh, I, I, I loved that whole kind of paralleling what's going on with Detmer with the lack of self-confidence that uh, Rin is dealing with. Yeah. And again, it, it comes to those things. It's like, I still want to know what's going on with Detmer. Is it just that she is dealing with an issue or is there something more going on? Because I keep thinking back to that earlier episode, the second episode of the season, where she falls and hits her head against that implant. And didn't we see something that indicated that maybe there's something infecting her through the implant that's messing with her? Or am I just reading that wrong? I think people guessed something like that, but we've since learned that that's not the case. It's it's she seems to be going through PTSD. Okay. I still question if there's something more to it. Okay. Here's, here's the thing with this format of Star Trek and other series that are like this. There's all these questions that just keep coming up. You know, it's like, I want to know more about Detmer. I want to know more about Rin. I want to know more about, (laughs) like, you know, we're not getting the beginning, middle and end to a story. You know, Mm. it's like, you know, you can sit there and watch an episode of Voyager and the new characters introduced for the one episode and you get that beginning middle and end it doesn't always end with you going but what about and how and i want to know more about this character no you got all the answers you needed in that episode we're not getting self-contained so i think i'm just getting antsy because we're getting we're getting closer to the end (laughs) we are and i i think we'll get a lot of answers to these again like i said kind of at the top it's this this format where we're not getting the the conclusion to the story and it's weird that we talk about it every week without all the answers i i don't want this but i know some people have said like the format of discovery is such that it would work better if it was dropped all at once netflix style the whole season i would not want that because i would just have to take a week and and just watch it all because i i couldn't just pace myself like the crown the crown drops on netflix the entire season 
uh, my wife and I watched an episode a day and, and took it nice and slow. And, and, you know, I wouldn't be able to do that with Star Trek. We'd have to watch it beginning to end, you know, and, and just as fast as possible. So that would be horrible. But uh, I, I get the argument because it's it's the format is such that you need to know the next part of the story for the whole thing to make sense, if that makes if that makes sense. And we've had discussions like this before, too, where it's like reading a novel. Would we really come on the show here and go, OK, so we both read that one chapter. What did we think of the chapter? <laughs> exactly. And it's like, well, we're not getting the full story. So. Yeah, I, I like this too. I don't want to binge watch it all at once. I don't want it all dropped at once. I like this where we're, we're pacing it out. I like getting something new every week. It's like getting a new little gift every Thursday. And it gives us time to absorb it and speculate and discuss it. And then we get a little more the next week and a little more. If we got it all at once, you're right. I'd have to feel like I'd spend like the whole weekend watching them all, not doing anything else that weekend. We'd get on the show, we'd talk about it, and then we're done. And then we're going, oh, it's going to be months until we get another Star Trek series. Absolutely. Me too. I, I wouldn't want to change that for sure. So, But then we get, of course, things like the slow uh, resolution of, of Detmer's story. And like what it is, I think, is the entire crew, the whole ship is going through trauma. And Detmer has really become just the face of that. You know, this is obviously a story element that the producers, the writers want to explore with Discovery. And I think if everybody on the ship was going through some horrible trauma because they've gone 930 years to the future and yada, 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 like nothing would get done. That would just be what the show is about now. But through Detmer, it feels like they're telling that story. Like they said, okay, let's let's choose this character to tell that story through. And and that kind of seems to be where this is going. I love that she's paired with Rin in this because of Rin's self-confidence issues. And then Detmer has had the same thing. Like this, this trauma has made her a little gun shy at the helm sometimes, you know, saying like, oh, that that was closer than it should have been. I, I need to be more on the ball with this. By putting her with Rin, we get this kind of cool thing where she realizes that she's the strong one in this situation and can kind of model that self-confidence to Rin and and take him under her wing and kind of become more confident through doing so. I thought that was a really cool way to take her story here and then to throw Tilly into the mix because she's always been a character that has started in this series as not having a lot of confidence she's really you know a lot of self-doubt and worrying about doing the right things and saying the right things and and we're seeing more confidence in her and so we're seeing the confidence of Tilly and Detmer increase they're becoming more self-conscious I mean more self-confidence and then they're helping Rin through his th so the three it would be interesting to see a scene of the three of them working through something like a mission or you know something that they're on an adventure together mm -hmm. that would be pretty cool uh, i'm i'm really digging rin i have to say more so than i would have thought that i would have and i kind of hope he's a fairly regular fixture on the crew wouldn't that be cool if he was like a main character next season or something somehow I was just thinking it'd be cool if he was, yeah, a member of the crew. We have a, this Endorian character on the ship. Well, speaking of Rin, we also, of course, get his wife <laughs> in this episode. How's that for a, a segue? We talked a little bit about Tilly as the first officer, especially in that scene in Saru's ready room. 
But yeah, this is really the first episode we get Tilly acting in that role. I think this is a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy Tilly's role as first officer here. She seems to be kind of falling into the role pretty well. What do you think so far of her performance as the executive officer of Discovery at the moment? I'm liking this storyline because I'm just seeing, like you're saying, her self-confidence building. I see that she's taking the role seriously. She's trying to help Saru and Saru is kind of mentoring her. And I can see her being a first officer. Again, I don't think she should become the permanent first officer because she's an ensign and she just, you know, was a cadet not that long ago. But then again, we saw that in the Kelvin universe with Kirk, but we don't care for that quick promotion either but but no i think she's doing well you know helping saru come up with the make it so thing or whatever he wants to say <laughs> that that was okay it was a little cute but at the same time saru's been in command for a while not even not saying just as permanent captain but he's been in command of the ship on numerous occasions and i just thought it was kind of weird that he's trying to come up with his little catchphrase <laughs> you know like now now you're trying to figure that out but it kind of makes it cute because it also helped gives tilly something to do to help him mm, i loved that i thought that was one of my favorite parts of the episode and i mean it's honestly it's a joke that was just borrowed from lower decks you know <laughs> but yeah. this is i i I don't, I don't want to differentiate between the shows too much, but it feels like this is that joke, but in the real world, if that makes sense, um, even though Lower Decks is canon, of course. But, you know, I, I love seeing this in the kind of more serious atmosphere of Discovery and the fact that I, I guess the difference would be in Lower Decks, we saw Captain Freeman saying it out loud in the in the corridor like oh what do you think of this blah 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 but in this episode you know it's like oh, what about that other issue that we talked about oh yes well and they're trying to keep it quiet because it's kind of embarrassing and, and a little bit silly and yeah it's a little bit silly but i i loved saru trying out different catchphrases and the rest of the crew just kind of like, what is happening? <laughs> I don't know. I really enjoyed that. I thought that was great. What do you think of her as the EXO? I think she's falling into the role quite well. It felt like a little bit more of the duties in this episode seemed like an administrative task rather than what we usually see as the first officer. So, and, and I don't mean this pejoratively, I don't mean this in a putting down way or anything, but it felt like sometimes the role that she had in the episode felt more like Yeoman Rand in the original series than the first officer, if that makes sense. So I, I think I'm, I'm looking forward to scenes with them on the bridge or her leading an away team or something like that. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing the more traditional first officer type stuff rather than the, the paperwork and the administrative duties we've seen so far, I guess. But I, she seems confident she's handling that really well. And I really enjoyed that. Yeah. It almost came across to me like that, that, and that's where I'm getting back to the command phrase that Saru wants to come up with like well I need to give something Tilly to do but I'll ease her into this and you know I kind of want a different catchphrase on the bridge and maybe I'll have her help me with that that'll be one of the first things we work on you know and so it does seem kind of an administrative type role at this point and maybe that's why he's doing all this is to kind of help ease her in and it is something that he's been wanting to do is change his command phrase so this is something they can work on together and mm -hmm. You know, the rest of the crew, 
you know, they have to kind of get used to her being in command uh, as first officer and they have to get used to Saru's new whatever catchphrase he's going to start using. (laughs) (laughs) Hit it then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like it when you just say something like that away or something. I I enjoy it. I think it's funny. The thing I thought about too is that we've seen in previous seasons of Discovery, Saru looking at you know, the records of previous captains and trying to emulate them and that kind of thing. So I'm wondering if Saru has looked up old captains, like famous notable captains from the past and is like, Ooh, that make it so was pretty good. That's, hmm, (laughs) you know, or something like that. Or like, Oh, Janeway, do it. Hmm. Okay. Oh, Jellico, get it done. Huh? Okay. There's some good ones here. (laughs) And he's just like, I want to be like them. I want to have a really good phrase. And you know, I don't know. I like it. It would be kind of funny if this played out in several episodes where he's doing just that. He comes up to the bridge and he says to Tilly, I'm going to try a phrase from a Captain Picard from the 24th century, you know, and then and the crew's still like, nah, it didn't work. You know, when he says make it so or engage or whatever. And then he comes back to the bridge another time. And he tries a Janeway phrase and they're like, eh, that might work. And he's like, and for some reason, I'm really craving coffee. Can we have some coffee on the bridge? Like <laughs> when he starts studying Captain we start seeing him picking up on some of the things that the captains like to do. That's kind of funny. Yeah, I, I could kind of see like one week he's just trying to be as Picard as possible. And another week he's trying to be as Cisco as possible or something like that. And right. ordering Ractiginos. And <laughs> right. I've, I've tried this jambalaya. It's quite good. <laughs> yes, we're all going to have a captain's dinner tonight and it's going to be Cajun food. <laughs> <laughs> It could be fun. As much as I enjoyed this joke with Saru trying to find his catchphrase, it's kind of one of those things that I'm like, I kind of actually hope it's mostly just in this episode and this isn't going to be a recurring thing throughout the whole season. I do feel like it could get a little old a little fast, but uh, it was fun. I I enjoyed it and the eye rolling and, and that kind of stuff was fun. Yeah. Now, I, I don't think they'll carry it on like a joke every episode. I don't think they'll go there. Well, we get some time with another character from uh, that we've picked up along the way as well. And I, I really want to call out this really lovely scene between Adira and Stamets when they're working in the in the spore drive area there. It's it's understated. It's not a big deal. It's not like, oh, my gosh, look at this. This is happening. But Adira makes it clear to Stamets that they don't want to go by she, her pronouns anymore. They're going to go by they, them pronouns. And it's exactly, exactly like I called out a few weeks ago saying that like when this happens, I think this is how it's going to go. They say, I prefer being called this and Stamets, okay. And from then on, it's just they, them pronouns. And I thought that was really interesting that it was, you know, I've just, I've never felt like a she. I feel more comfortable as they or them. And that's it. Like if only that conversation could go that easily and that smoothly in real life (laughs) all the time. Yeah. And it's interesting because the first time I saw the scene, I was hoping when we got to this type of scene, that would have been even easier. Stamets took a moment to go, oh, oh, well, okay, sure. Yeah. Okay. And I thought, well, I was hoping, thinking, well, by the future, just be like, oh, no, I go by they, them. Oh, okay. 
But then I thought, mm. no, you know what? This does work better. They're still identifying who they are. Mm-hmm. And you're, you know, we have to keep remember that they're a teenager. And it would be no different if they were like, I kind of have a crush on someone, you know? And just being a little uncomfortable mentioning that to someone who's a, their commanding officer at this point, for the most part, and whatever. And, and so, yeah, you're going to be a little hesitant and a little uncomfortable talking about something personal that you've just kind of been discovering about yourself. And it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start going there. And, and, and it, the scene is perfect because it is, her, it is them saying, this is who I am and this is what I'm going to be called. And he's like, oh, okay. And it's almost like this, that's, that's sweet. And I'm glad you're discovering yourself in that. That's that's perfect. And it's just, mm-hmm. yeah, move on. We're good. Yeah, and the line that made it really work for me, the the hesitancy and, and the uncomfortable uncomfortableness. Like you say, they're they're a teenager. They're trying out a new identity. They're discovering themselves kind of thing. The line that really brought it all together for me was when they say, Gray is the only person I've ever told. So this is this is a big step for them. You know, this is a difficult moment. It's a little awkward. It's a little tough. You know, it's 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 hard to assert yourself sometimes. Like think of your early work experience and, you know, your boss or your supervisor says something or, or calls you a name that maybe isn't a name that you go by or something like that. It's hard to say, oh, actually, I, I prefer to be called this or or whatever. Right. Like and then put that into a 16 year old. That's tough. And I, I think that scene that really were especially like I say, when they say, Gray's the only person I've ever told. I've never told anyone else this before. This is a really difficult moment for me. I, I thought that really worked perfectly. Yeah, you're right. Because if it was a different name, especially if, if somebody, your boss has been calling you the same name for quite a while and you're like, oh, I should have told my boss that I actually go by this. Now it's uncomfortable after all this time to say, well, really, I prefer that you call me this person, this name. You know, <laughs> it, it yeah. is a little weird, you know. And yeah, it has been a few weeks that they've been aboard the ship. So it, it would be awkward. It would be tough. And yeah, I, I just love that, you know, Stamets and, and Culber, they just fall into calling them that really, really easily. I also wonder, and this is just kind of in the back of my mind, I wonder if Adira is like, this ship, they came from 900 years in the past. Maybe they're not cool with that. Maybe they're all bigoted and redneck. <laughs> That's a good point, too. Yeah. No, you're I just right. thought of that now. Yeah. Yeah. They don't know how Stamets is going to respond because Stamets is from the past and they don't know how he viewed things from that century. Well, uh, the one thing I wanted to mention in relation to this as well is there's this kind of through line through this episode all about identity. And so we get, like I said, this whole thing with Adira, but also we find out that book went by a different name as well. And it really had me flashing back again to the Short Treks episode Calypso, where we learn that Kraft, you know, that's not his real name. He goes by other names and his lover would give him his true name or something like that. And I'm wondering, like, there's this interesting kind of idea of identity and what people call you and what you prefer to be called that I I don't know that I've come to any conclusion about that topic with regards to this episode, but it seems to be something that the writers are interested in exploring. Does that make sense? Yeah. I didn't even think about Calypso and uh, about craft 
I have not watched Calypso since this season premiered, and now I want mm-hmm. to. It's so good. There have been like four or five callbacks to it by now at this point in in this in this season three. So yeah, I mean, I've watched Calypso many times, but not since the season premiere. So when I watch it now, it would probably be a little different for me. Yeah, I don't know about the name because his brother seemed to be a little surprised that he had a different name. That's how mm-hmm. I read it. Like, it doesn't sound like it's a common thing that you would change your name. Yeah, maybe it is uncommon. Maybe, yeah. Or maybe it's his brother is just more surprised of what name it is. That could be too, yeah. Yeah. And Book does mention in this episode, again, the story behind his name, that, that there's a story there that, I don't know, they're building this up. I want to know what the story behind his name, Cleveland Booker, is. They're kind of building it up to be a big deal. I want to know what that is. <laughs> I don't know. There's still part of me that wonders if we're going to see a short treks about that missing year, a book and Burnham together. We find out those kinds of answers. That could be. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, speaking of book, there's there's a few other little bits with regards to this episode that I want to talk about. Book makes a decision at the end of the episode, which I think is a really big step and really interesting. And uh, since this episode came out, I actually rewatched Unification 3 and I forgot how big a deal in that episode it was that Burnham decided to stay on discovery. And then there's this bit where she says, what does that mean for you talking to book and book says, I honestly don't know. And then in this episode book makes the decision that like, Hey, the things you Starfleet people are doing are pretty good. I want to be a part of that. I think I'm going to stay on discovery. And then Burnham's like, well, (laughs) you got to check with the captain first, but it seems like Book's going to be kind of uh, sticking around on Discovery. What do you think about that decision? I like it because I want him to stick around. I want to see more of him. You know, he's taking up a lot of room uh, with his ship in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a part of me, again, that I just sort of want this ship to kind of be its own thing. Because they're from the past. They're not really part of this Federation Starfleet, per se. I almost want them to break away from them and just kind of mm. be their own thing and, and have their own crew. And you don't have to be a Starfleet officer. They'll they'll bring you on as whatever, the, a Discovery officer, whether you're Book or whether you're Rin or whatever. It, there's just a part of me that kind of wants to see that, you know? They're just operating on their own. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting thought for sure. Uh, do you think Book will get into one of those uniforms? He didn't seem to like that the first time. <laughs> no, he didn't, did he? And it, you know, it's surprising in some ways they're still using those uniforms and haven't transitioned to the, the new uniforms of Starfleet. No, I mean, I like seeing more Book. And so to just give him a reason to be there on the ship just gives us more reason to see Book. And maybe that we do learn about his name and some other things about him. And of mm-hmm. course, you know, his relationship with Burnham, you know, is she going to kick Tilly out of the room? And have Book move in with her. Oh, that would be an awkward conversation. Kick the first officer out of your room. <laughs> <laughs> or does Burnham just uh, stay with Book on his ship? Does he just, you know, he doesn't get a quarters. He just lives on his ship in Discovery there. Yeah, that could be for sure. Well, one of the other big plot points in this episode, of course, is Giorgio. And we we see some interesting stuff with her. I feel like this is something that's going to get followed up big time next week because it's kind of left hanging here, but she gets examined by the medical staff and apparently uh, she might be dying. There's something horribly wrong with her and her face does that weird distortion thing. What do you think's going on here? 
without bringing in spoilers from next week's episode, of course, for those who maybe haven't watched previews or sneak clips or anything like that. I don't know. My wife asked me that at after dinner last night. <laughs> She's like, what's going on with Giorgio and that distortion thing? And I'm like, I don't know. I haven't really thought about it much. I said, just give me a minute. And as I'm eating, I was thinking more about it. And I thought, is it that maybe Giorgio isn't who we think she is? I don't know if we Ooh. want to go that far with her character. But the fact that she's having all these flashbacks to stabbing someone. And to me, they make her look younger as if this was something that happened in her past when she was younger. And I thought, well, mm-hmm. is this really her witnessing someone being stabbed? Or is she having an image of herself being stabbed? And she's looking at herself dying. And Mm. now she's been, I don't know, some kind of weird sci-fi thing where she's not in her real body. And it's a simulation (laughs) that looks real on the inside and out. And so she's like a sim of some kind or like like a, a hollow image. And that's why there's a distortion and her programming's going weird because of what they did at the federation starfleet headquarters with the guy in the glasses like i I don't know (laughs) this is probably way out there too far but i have no idea what's going on well the one thing i will say is during her flashbacks she says the name sun uh s-u-n that's true and if you do want to learn more about that character check out john jackson miller's novel die standing uh, that came out earlier this year. So there's that, that character is in that novel and we learn a little bit about them. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. That's, that's the flash. That's what it's a flashback to her earlier life in the mirror universe. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Oh my gosh. I forgot about the novel. Oh, I have to go back (laughs) and look at that now. Indeed. Well, the other thing of course, uh, that we touched on briefly earlier though, was the origin of the burn which we learn in this episode is a nebula and the music that people have been hearing is actually because of a distress call that's being sent from a Federation ship that is in the nebula. Now the music we know has been around for a long time because apparently Senna Tal learned it as a lullaby as a child. So that ship has been in the nebula for quite a long time. Does this remind you of anything? Does this is this triggering any kind of memories of maybe a short treks episode that we've mentioned in this episode already? You know, again, I should go back and watch Calypso. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that was my thought too. Is it that discovery we saw in Calypso? Yes. Yeah. So that's interesting. So hmm. Now we know that okay, there there've been a few snags i guess in the theory that we had a while ago which was that Giorgio eventually takes discovery back to the 23rd century and then hides it in the nebula for them to find later the big thing being that discovery now does not look like the discovery that was in the nebula it's now the discovery a and my thought around that was like, oh, it's all done with programmable matter. You could very easily change it back. That refit only took three weeks. You could undo that really quickly as well. But yeah, I don't know. Is this maybe a completely separate discovery that's in the nebula? Or is it going to go back in time in the future and then be the ship in the nebula? Because if it does go back in time at some point, 
it will have always been in the nebula regardless of when that happens. So yeah, I don't know. Am I making sense? Temporal mechanics like O'Brien and Janeway, they give me a headache. Yeah, <laughs> you are making sense. I'm really processing this right now because I, I just, I'm not buying the whole taking discovery back in the past and make it look like it the way it used to. It just, that just, doesn't seem right to me. It seems like a boring answer to that. Like it feels yeah. like there's something more interesting there. Yeah. Which makes me wonder, okay, let's just say this isn't the same discovery. For whatever re- like like how could this be a different discovery? So let me back up. Right now, our crew is on the discovery A. I that's the first time I've heard anybody including me say the discovery A. <laughs> I don't know if I've heard anybody say that, but we have. Maybe we're the... just being Canadian. It's the discovery, eh? eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, they're, they're on the Canadian discovery, and <laughs> okay, so they're on the discovery A. So let's just say, for argument's sake, this one nebula is not that ship in the future, because it's not an A; it's an original. So how could the ship that we're on now, the A, see its past self? in a nebula in the future. So that would mean, as I'm processing this, that would mean that the ship in the past had sat out there in the nebula and later in its future past this century went back in time and became the ship that they're now serving on that has jumped into the future. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I don't think this is correct, though. And I have yeah, I don't why. know, like, when that would have happened or, like, how they would not notice that everything's a thousand years older. <laughs> but, yeah. Right, it's... because the ship talks. Right, the ship, the language on the ship and everything, that is mm-hmm. what we've discovered now happens more so in this century. Unless that was always there in the 23rd century, but the ship knew not to disclose that voice or something or not show that. Do you know what I'm saying? Okay, so what am yeah. <laughs> I'm really I'm really stretching here. So what I'm saying is prior to Lorca, prior to Burnham, prior to everything we saw on Discovery Season 1, there was the Discovery, right? We didn't see the Discovery being built. And for some Mm. reason, the Discovery was placed in this nebula, sat there for a thousand years, so it's a totally different timeline. And then in this future, it's sent back prior to Lorca, Giorgio, Burnham, all that stuff in season one. They serve on that ship, take that ship into the future, make it an A, and that ship is now seeing its past self before they even. So we're in a separate timeline from when that ship originally was put in the nebula. Mm-hmm. It's possible. I, I, I feel like that's a little too I know complicated. <laughs> Maybe. I know, I, don't know. I know. But then It'd how be hard else, to explain. <laughs> how else do you explain that there's another discovery though? Without it yeah. being complicated, right? I don't know. There's yeah, there's gotta be maybe a, a parallel universe or something. Or maybe it's the mirror dis- no, it's not the mirror discovery. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And then why is it there to send a message about the burn? That's the other thing is we learn that this nebula is the origin of the burn. So is the discovery, if if it's the discovery in the nebula, we don't even know that that's the case. Maybe it's another seed vault chip. We, we have no idea. Right. <laughs> but if that's the discovery in the nebula, did discovery cause the burn somehow? And if so, I hope not. I don't want that to be, I don't want them to be at the center of everything that's ever happened. But if that's the direction they want to go, I guess we'll have to go with that. But 
I, I'm hoping there's another explanation other than the Discovery crew or Burnham somehow caused the burn. That would I would be sad if that's the case. I don't know. Again, I'm wondering if there's some kind of connection with what Georgia is going through and some other connection to the mirror universe. Because if the writers were like really examining the series as a whole from season one till now and they wanted to connect everything in some manner as to the mirror universe in this, not to say the ship is from the mirror universe, but maybe there was something Lorca, the mirror Lorca was involved in that has some connection to this in some manner. And that's why they're so interested in Giorgio because they know there's something connected with the burn in the mirror universe and this discovery. And I don't know. And if it's not discovery in the nebula, then what is the ship? Is it just some random starship that we're going to find out that we've never heard of or no connection to? And, and that's just okay. Or is it that it's a ship that we do know of? And if it's not mm. discovery in the nebula, what ship would it be that we would know of? Is it Voyager from the past? Is it the Defiant? An Enterprise of some <laughs> type? Oh my gosh, that could be it. It could be the current version of the Enterprise. Hmm. That would be an interesting Because that would make yeah. fans happy. They go to the Nebula and they discover the starship is the Enterprise Double B. <laughs> So, Bruce, um, do you have any final thoughts and maybe an overall rating for The Sanctuary? Uh, Yeah. So, again, this is probably one of my least favorite episodes of the season. But now that we're talking through it, my opinion still hasn't changed that much. But I do feel that they have set up the seeds for the season. And now these are the last remaining seeds that they need to plant for us to get the full growth of the season at the end. Like, so mm. they've been saving these pieces to add to the puzzle uh, for the overall conclusion. So there's got to be some connection between the Emerald Chain and what Rin's there for and Book is there for and the ship in the nebula and the burn and the mirror universe with Georgia. I'm saying there's all connection between all those things somehow that we'll find out at the end. So I would say that uh, I enjoyed, you know, the scenes with Tilly and Saru. I did enjoy the scenes with Rin. I did like seeing Book's brother. I would like to see that relationship fleshed out maybe in a future episode too, some more, uh, and more about his people and about his abilities. So yeah, there's a lot of seeds. I'm going to say this is Space Seed 3, 4, 5, double A, double B. <laughs> I don't know. So my overall rating for this is I would give this 60 out of 100 sea locusts floating around. I mostly enjoyed this episode. It's definitely not my favorite of the season. It's kind of middle for me. Uh, I'm, Scavengers is still my least favorite, but this one, you know, it, it's it's not bad. I enjoyed mostly the character stuff like you with Tilly and Saru and Rin. I'm really interested as a character. I want to see more of him. Loved the stuff with Detmer. I think that was great. Burnham, I thought was really great in this episode as well. She felt very... Uh, at ease with the role that she was playing kind of she's more straddling that world now between discovery and book and now that books decided to stick with discovery that's going to be a lot easier for her but she seemed to fall into that role a lot more easily than she has in the last few episodes the decision she made last episode i think has really solidified her commitment to discovery and and like i said she just 
fits back in there really easily. Book and his brother, I think that's an interesting relationship like you. I'd love to see more of that. I don't know. I I'm, I feel differently from you, though. I'm really interested in the Emerald Chain. I want to see more of them. I want to see more of Osira. I think she, you know, was a kind of a bit of a fun, mustachey, twirly villain person who... I think has been in quarantine during COVID. So did her own bangs for better or for worse. (laughs) (laughs) I had to comment on that a little bit. (laughs) I I love the design of the character. I think she looks really cool, but yeah, no, it wasn't bad. A little bit woo woo pseudoscience stuff towards the end with the animal empathy stuff. I'm still not sure how I feel about that. But it works in the context of the episode. Yeah, I'm going to have to give this probably three out of five really effective maneuvers by Detmer flying book's ship fighting against the uh, Viridian. So, yeah, not bad. Not bad. Well, we would love to hear from all of you out there. What did you think of this episode? Let us know in our Positively Trek discussion group where we will have a thread for this episode. Leave a comment there. What did you think of this episode, both of the podcast and the episode of Discovery? Or tweet to us at Positively Trek. You can tweet to me on Twitter at Kurtrats, that's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. You can also find me on YouTube.com slash Productions. And Bruce? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me on Instagram at Admiral Rex. And uh, I've been on the Star Wars report a lot lately, almost every week. I don't know why. It just kind of happens. I don't know if I'm going to be on the next one or not. It just... when Riley asks and I feel like it, we just kind of do it. And we've been doing it live the last couple times too. We've been trying that out. I mean, we've done live shows on theirs before, but uh, we're doing live on YouTube and playing around with that. So we'll do that for a little while and see how it goes. Nice. You can also find the show on Instagram at positively Trek. Thank you for reminding me about that. Uh, But yeah, we've got over 400 followers on Twitter now. Let's keep building that up. Good to see people following us there. Uh, and, you know, join us in the discussion group. Like I said, we'd love to see more of you there. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then, as always, stay positive. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.